So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. We'll continue on going through the book of Mark. And this morning we found ourselves in an interesting place as we look at this famous passage, one of Jesus' most famous passages of Scripture in light of uh, what he said. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So this morning we have come to have another discussion as we did last week about our treasure. Uh, We're looking at our finances and looking at our treasure and I know sometimes we come into church and you think sometimes we talk a lot about money and the Bible talks a lot about money and we talk a lot about money and it can lead us in different ways but this morning we want to have a mixture of talking about money and also politics. So this should be delightful, right? Double scooping this morning of some ice cream, uh, politics and money. Everybody's ready? Should be delightful right here before Thanksgiving. But this is where we are. This is where we are in the text, and we're not going to skip over, not going to look, look past. We want to be wise, careful, cautious, and open as we look at what Jesus has the opportunity to do, what he says, and how we respond as believers to what Jesus has spoken in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up and follow along with me. If you also have your half sheet of paper, you can finally, after three weeks, fill in blanks if that's your thing, uh, right there for you. So let's read this, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and that you do not care about anyone's opinions for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Therefore, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to them, It's Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, would you help us? As we open your word, we always just... uh, Surrender ourselves and ask that you help us, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you open our hearts to receive and that we would not leave the sanctuary of this church the same way that we came in. Our hearts always want to be stirred towards you. So let your word be the chief authority of our lives to lead us and to guide us in these next few moments. Lord, we love you. We look to Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. The first blank that you see on your outline is when enemies join together. When enemies join together. Now let's let's just take a moment and recognize where we are in the scripture. Where we are. So this is Holy Week and Jesus has come in to uh, Jerusalem on the donkey and he's rode in and people are celebrating and excited but all along the way this Holy Week Jesus is persecuted and he is ready to be killed. Right, the, the people, the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the chief priests and the scribes, they are looking for an opportunity and a foothold to kill Jesus. Now, I know at times in my life, I've re- read these scriptures, and I think it's almost like a Tom and Jerry type situation, where, where Tom chases Jerry, and when, when Tom ultimately gets hit by an anvil or something, he says, oh man, I didn't get him this time, right? And they laugh, and they go back, and they try to figure out how to do it again. No, no, this is not that situation. The Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes, they are out to kill Jesus. 
They are looking for an opportunity to kill him, to put him into prison, to discredit him, or to somehow divide his followers. This is not just a Tom and Jerry type situation. They are trying to kill Jesus. And so over the course of this week, don't lose the tension of Holy Week. Even though we're going to be talking about this particular passages of Scripture leading up to Mark until ultimately he is crucified on the cross for many months to come, this week, this day, we don't lose the tension of where Jesus is. Last week, as Jesus is teaching, it says that they were ready to arrest him, but for fear of the crowds, they didn't. At this point, the only thing keeping Jesus from dying and from being in prison is his crowd following, the people around him who are loving his teaching, are soaking on his teachings. And so that is what kept, has kept Jesus alive in teaching to this point. And so see that this is not just a, hey, maybe we can go get him. You see in verse 13, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. That this is a premeditated, plot out, planned attack to catch Jesus and to entrap him, to ensnare him. It's a pretty good plot. Let's unpack it for just a moment, what the Herodians and what the Pharisees were really trying to do. Now, the Herodians were a politically connected group with Rome, right? They were followers of Herod, so they get the name, the Herodians, and so they're religious supporters right alongside the Roman government. They're going to be supporters of the Roman government. They're going to be proponents of, and so for them, they are very much uh, in agreement with this tax, Right? This is a poll tax that every citizen, if you're breathing, you pay a tax, right? No matter who you are, where you are, you're going to pay this tax. And for the Rhodians, they're saying, yep, this is good. Pay the tax. Now, for the Pharisees, they despise this tax. As followers of uh, the law and being under the occupation of the Roman people, they despise this tax. They pay it, but they despise it. And so the plot is this. The Herodians and the Pharisees who did not get along when these enemies joined together, here they are coming to Jesus, asking this loaded question, knowing that no matter what way Jesus answers, they've got it. If Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then all of a sudden the crowd that have followed Jesus, that love Jesus' teaching, are all of a sudden who hate this tax are going to say, Jesus, I want to pay this tax. Who are you telling us to pay this tax? Don't you know this corrupt government that we're living under? We're not paying a tax. And all of a sudden, Jesus' crowds begin to fizzle. And they can come in and arrest him or kill him. Now, if Jesus were to say, don't pay the tax, then the Herodians could say, hey, Romans, come and arrest this man. He's telling all these followers not to pay the tax. Go and arrest him. And there they have Jesus arrested. And the problem is off their hands. And they've got him. Now, I don't want to go down a a train that is not true of the text, but I find it interesting that of all the softballs that the Pharisees and the different scribes and the chief priests have tried to throw at Jesus over the course of his tenure on this earth, right as Jesus is walking into Holy Week, right before he's about to endure the cross, of all the theological questions that they can pin on Jesus and nothing has worked, isn't it interesting that they would choose politics to try to divide his followers? So here we are, all these years later, and it appears that the enemy's tactics have not been that different. If we've endured over the last years, know that the politics can get infected into a church and can divide a church far, sometimes quicker than theological points and opportunities. 
And so here the enemy would work through the Pharisees and the Herodians to opportune time to get into the political spectrum of this moment and say either pay the tax or don't pay the tax. Either way, we've got you. On this week before Jesus is about to endure the cross, this week that Jesus is about to die on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world, here in this moment, an infusion and an opportunity for Jesus to be caught in his words, what will Jesus say? Do you feel the tension of this? This moment, if Jesus says pay the tax, he's doomed. If he says don't pay the tax, he's doomed. What will Jesus do? I heard a story recently of an of a older brother and a younger brother, and uh, when they would be asked to do chores like cleaning the dishes or taking the trash out or cutting the yard, the older brother, who was much more wise, would come to the younger brother and say, let's flip a coin, right? Let's flip a coin to see who does it. Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. And the younger brother would grow up, and he just said, I couldn't figure out why, and some of you will get it later. It'll, it'll come to you. Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. It'll, it'll hit you in a little while. The younger brother would come up and say, why am I always losing? You come to this, and the Pharisees, holding a denarius, would say, Jesus, heads, we win. Tails, you lose. What choice do you have? This is an incredible moment. Talk about a messenger of Satan to harass Jesus, and this persecution swelling up through all sorts of channels, coming to Jesus right in this moment before he's about to endure the cross, go to die on the cross for our sins. And so let's move to number two and see how Jesus is going to answer in the ultimate authority of the denarius. In verses 15 and 16, we see that Jesus, after getting asked this question, but knowing their hypocrisy, right? I mean, people are coming to Jesus and buttering him up pretty well, right? Listen to what they're saying. Jesus, we know that you are true. We know that you do not care about anyone's opinions. You're not swayed by appearances. You always are teaching the way of God. I mean, this sounds like a teenager going to the parents asking for money, right? Mom and dad, you are so gracious. We love you so much. Mom and dad, I just, I'm so thankful for you. Doesn't it it feel like that? Right before they hand out their hand and say, can I I have the car keys this weekend? Hey, can I need a little raise on my allowance, right? I mean, they're just essentially buttering up Jesus and Jesus sees right through it. But at the same time, they're saying all true things, right? They're saying, hey, you're teaching the way of God. We We know that you're not swayed by appearances, and so they come and they ask this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes? And so Jesus asked, hey, can you bring me a denarius? It's interesting that Jesus didn't have one on himself, and the Pharisees and the uh, Herodians are easily able to produce one for him, and they give him a denarius. And on the screen, we've got a picture of denarius. To me, it's helpful to see this. This is what they would have handed Jesus. On the front is a picture of Tiberius, uh, the Caesar, uh, as they were called. And on the inscription around the edges would say, Tiberius, divine son of Augustus. Right there on the front, emblazoned on the front of this denarius, a day's wage, the poll tax that they were asking to be paid, right there on the front, it would say, Tiberius, divine son of Augustus. And there on the back, you see the picture of the seated person. And on the either side, it says in words, high priest. So you even see in those words how blasphemous this would have been. This blasphemous, a divine son of Augustus, and on the back of this coin, high priest. I mean, this is even a divine coin that they would be carrying, right? A a blasphemous coin that they would say, hey, give me a denarius, which is the poll tax. I mean, this is a blasphemous coin, even in its inscription. 
And so Jesus would say, whose likeness in inscription is on this coin? And the way that Jesus would ask this, whose likeness would take them back, the same language would take them back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, when he, when in the beginning he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And as soon as Jesus would say, whose likeness is on that coin, it would have instantly jogged the memories of the chief priest and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians to say, whose likeness is Caesar made in? And in a most beautiful, cunning, wise moment by Jesus, he's essentially saying, this is Caesar's. Yes, it's Caesar's coin, but ultimately recognize whose authority is Caesar under? Whose likeness was Caesar made in the image of? But God himself. And so render to Caesar what is Caesar. Give Caesar his idol. Give Caesar his property. But even more fitting, he said, but give to God that which is God's. In one phrase with him, render under Caesar what is Caesar, but render under God what is God's. He is telling the people, telling the chief priests and the scribes, telling everyone that will listen, give to Caesar what is his, but ultimately recognize it is not God's. There is no high son of the most high Augustus. There is no high priest other than God himself. I mean, this is a beautiful moment by Jesus, undercutting and quickly undercutting the tension in the room to say, give to Caesar his penance. Give to Caesar his tax. Give to Caesar his idol. But ultimately, give to God that which is his, which is everything. Now, with this in mind, I want us to continue to take stock of where we are in this text. This would be an easy moment for Jesus to say, these Roman government, this is a blasphemous government. Give them no more than you need to. Don't give them that penance. Don't give them that tax. They don't deserve it. They're a blasphemous, corrupt government. They don't deserve any of it. I mean, do you see how easily Jesus could have said this, knowing that in just a few short days, this is the same government that is going to crucify him on the cross? I mean, it's fitting. That Jesus here, in this moment, could have said a a hundred different things. I mean, he's about to be killed by a mock trial by this government, yet he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God that which is God's. Now, the echoes of Scripture would be all throughout that would help us understand and dissect what this would mean for us to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and give unto God what is God's. And to do that, let's look at number three, that we are called to be God-honoring citizens. We are called to be God-honoring citizens. So do I get that from just the words, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render under Caesar what is Caesar's? Well, there's a a host of scripture, and I want to read these three for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can flip back and forth. These are important scriptures for us as we are called to be God-honoring citizens in the midst of the culture that we live in, knowing that as believers, we are at the crossroads of sacred, sacred and secular, that we are believers who have been marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation of a secular culture. We could easily move to a commune or a place that we'd be isolated in a village somewhere without anything to be had. But the reality is we are called to be a God-honoring citizen right here where we are. I just want to tell you, just right off the bat, how thankful I am to live in the country that we do. 
Patriotism and thankfulness for our country is not a sin to be thankful that we have roads that we can drive on, that we have clean water that we can drink, that we live in a place that I can walk to my next door neighbor, knock on the door and tell them about Jesus, that I can broadcast this service as a church out to the nations. I mean, I'm thankful for the country that we live in, the freedoms that we enjoy to meet and establish a worship, to have Bibles, to study and sing together. I am so thankful that we live in a place that we do, but no matter where we live, we are called to be God-honoring citizens. And so let us read some of these scriptures together, Romans 13, 1 through 7, to unpack together. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so feel that as Jesus is talking about Caesar, and he's reminding them, hey, Caesar, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but ultimately recognize who is over Caesar. Ultimately recognize whose likeness is Caesar made into, and there is no authority except from God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, be, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And you follow that with 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of God and the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, who is the testimony given at the proper time. In 1 Timothy 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors or sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. As I unpack this word for just a moment, let me give you a couple phrases. When we are called as citizens to be good, God-honoring citizens to pray for those in high positions. We are called from 1 Timothy 2 as citizens of the country that we live in, as citizens of God-honoring citizens, we are called to pray earnestly and with integrity for our leaders. Both at the national level, the state level, and the local level, we are called as believers to be on our knees in prayer. And I've said this a multitude of times, but so often we grumble and gripe and complain before we've dropped to our knees to pray. And if we're going to grumble and gripe and complain without praying, we are in error and sin from what God is calling us to. We are called as God-honoring citizens to be on our knees praying that God would break the hearts of his servants, to fear him, to follow him, to make laws and legislation that would fear him and would follow suit, that we are called as people to be on our knees in prayer for our officials and our leaders. 
And too often we are too grumbly and gripey before we are on our knees begging the Lord to intervene. So we pray. But we also honor those who are in authority while fearing God above all. Make that clear that we honor those in authority while fearing God above all else. See in these scriptures that be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by those to punish those who do evil. We as believers in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation are called to live our lives in a way that would so reflect that we are aliens and strangers in the midst of a foreign land. That we honor those in authority, but we recognize there may be times and places in which, like Daniel, we don't bend a knee to uh, a place that would allow us to do things that are against what God has ordained and called us to. Paul did not stop preaching the gospel when the Roman authorities would toss him into prison. We honor those in authority while fearing God above all else. You see that throughout the pages of scripture, fear God, honor the emperor, and as believers, we are at the intersection of sacred and secular. And I believe it is not diametrically opposed for us as believers to be good citizens when it calls for it, but also to be good believers when it calls for it. That we would live as people who have been marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it would be so evident in the midst of our culture that there is something different about the way that we conduct ourselves and live our lives and pray for one another and care for one another. That we would honor those to whom honor is due, but we would fear the Lord, recognizing that we are aliens and strangers, not looking to a donkey or an elephant, but looking to the Lord's leadership in our lives. He is our ultimate authority for all that we do. We render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but ultimately, as you look at the last blank on your outline, to God the things that are God's. As we've walked through this stewardship season, we've looked at this idea of grateful generosity. We recognize that everything that we've been given is a gift from the Lord. That everything that he has brought to us is a gift that he has given us. And so this Thanksgiving season, as you walk through the next few days, don't miss this tailor-made opportunity for you to take stock of the Lord's blessing in your life. Yesterday, as we celebrated the life of Tim Kearley, a man who had served the Lord faithfully for many, many years. He died unexpectedly. We held a celebration of life service, and as Jay was sharing about Tim's life, he started by a phrase that has just gripped my spirit. He said, we're a geyser of gratitude. Such a J word to say, but it was so perfect. A geyser of gratitude for Tim Kearley. And that phrase is just, it's stuck in my soul as we walk through this Christmas or this Thanksgiving season that we as believers, as we take stock of all the Lord has brought us to, blessed us in, walked us through, that we are as believers a geyser of gratitude. That we would take stock that we would look around at all that he has done for us and we would be blessed in our gratefulness. So are we a geyser of gratitude or are we just a trickle of thanksgiving? As you look back at the final phrase of this scripture, it says, and they marveled at him. I gotta believe that in that room there were people who were marveling at him, ready to throw him in jail, ready to kill him, marveling that they missed their opportunity. 
But there are also them in that room that were marveling at this Jesus, just marveling at him. And I wonder today, as we, as we get ready to prepare to leave, are we still marveling at Jesus? Are we marveling at what he has done for us? Are we marveling that morning by morning, new mercies we see? With an apathetic thought, we could just marvel and say, oh yeah, he's here, it's great. Or we could, we could stop and take stock of the marveling of what Jesus has done for us. And friends, I, never, I pray that we never take our eyes off the joy of what Jesus has done for us. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize in this moment that we need you. Lord, would you help us to live as strangers and aliens in a foreign land, but Lord, ultimately recognizing that we have been given great freedoms in this land that we live in. To proclaim your goodness, to live differently than a, a crooked and twisted generation that surrounds us. Lord, would we be wise? Would we, would we be wise in our dealings and our doings? Lord, help us. Where we have fallen short, teach us, Lord. Refine us and shape us and mold us into your image. Lord, in a moment, we're about to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And Lord, that is our heartbeat. That in everything that we do, we fixate our eyes onto you. That we keep coming back to turn our eyes upon you. So help us to do that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.